0: One show on pop culture and politics this is the Michael Medved show
1: and another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth a great day to get ready for celebrating an upcoming great anniversary what's the anniversary it's a 20th anniversary coming up in 2024 next year the 20th anniversary of the last time a Republican candidate for president has actually won a majority of the popular vote. Who was that president 20 years ago? His name was Bush, George W. Bush, who uh, won in 2004, and he won a reasonable margin with the popular vote. He beat John Kerry by two and a half percent. What has happened that has made it impossible for all the other Republican candidates and nominees, including one incumbent uh, who had won uh, in uh, the previous race while losing the popular vote by seven million votes. That's President Trump. But uh, other worthy candidates, uh, celebrity Republicans, people like uh, Mitt Romney, like John McCain all losers in the popular vote count, and then President Trump twice. So what needs to change for Republicans to have a chance actually of winning the popular vote and uh, actually having a president elected who has a clear mandate? Uh, We will talk about that with Myra Adams. She's written a provocative column about that. Uh, And also there's a brand new uh, poll that came out that talks about how the charges that the Republicans actually have suppressed the black vote and have discriminated against black voters and have destroyed democracy, charges associated with Stacey Abrams. Well, there was this in Mediaite. Uh, Liberals said that democracy was toast in Georgia, but uh, a brand new poll actually shows how many black voters actually said they had poor experience trying to cast their votes. The answer? Well, we'll get to that. While Democrats continue to fret that this could be the end of democracy, as we know it, a new poll showed a few concerns showed few concerns frankly among black voters according to a poll conducted by the university of georgia zero percent of black respondents reported having a poor experience while voting this year a whopping 72.6 percent said they had an excellent experience and 23.6 (laughs) percent said they had a good experience There was no discernible racial gap between white voters or black voters, which is fairly incredible, uh, given the fact that everybody had been so conditioned to the notion that somehow the state of Georgia, with their new election laws and reforms, was actually doing everything it could to discourage black voting. But uh, then again, if you look at this uh, story and the results of this this particular survey, there's no discernible racial gap. 72.7% of white voters said they had an excellent experience, and 23.3% called it good. In other words, among white voters, 96% said it was either good or excellent, their experience at the polls. Among black voters— It was uh, 76% for the combined good and excellent. So congratulations to the state of Georgia and to Mediaite for pointing out how misleading some of the political claims on the left can frankly be. There's not particularly good news, however, about a new CNN poll that was released this morning finding that only 27% of U.S. adults uh, believe that Republican leaders in the House have had the right priorities so far, while 73% surveyed said that the GOP House leaders have not focused on the most important problems. Well, that's because the coverage of the House has mostly to do with George Santos, or, or it has to do with the struggle to get Uh, Kevin McCarthy elected as speaker after 15 ballots, or it has to do with throwing Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell and uh, now Ilhan Omar off their committee assignments in the House, or it has to do with gearing up to uh, investigate Hunter Biden's business history, his cocaine problems, and uh, they're very fishy, and I, I agree it's fishy the very fishy idea that uh, he was selling paintings that do not look like they're saleable at all but for a half million dollars and more in any event uh this poll shows that a 59 percent majority disapprove of the way democratic leaders in congress are handling their jobs overall while 67 percent disapprove of republican leaders isn't that great I mean, you have overwhelming majorities who disapprove of both sides. This uh, this does not show a trend. It just shows a trend of disgust and disappointment. The uh, poll summary noted that the congressional Republicans' numbers were weighed down by respondents within the party showing a greater lack of enthusiasm than Democrats for their own leaders. 42% of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents disapprove of their party's congressional leaders that's a lot you think this is of Republicans 22 percent of Democrats and Democratic leaners disapprove of their party's congressional leadership look the 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 point for Democrats is it's early to disapprove because most people don't know who Hakeem Jeffries is they don't know anything about him and uh, he in that regard has a little bit of an advantage because there are no preconceptions meanwhile one of the preconceptions is that the way to deal with the homeless problem is to spend money and front page of the seattle times this morning what would it take to end homelessness in king county that's of course the county where seattle is it's a county of two and a half million people and more than seattle and county budgets have ever allocated is what it would take and more than double what governor jay Inslee has proposed to address homelessness throughout the entire state the king county regional homelessness authority estimates it would take more than eight billion dollars in construction costs and up to 3.5 billion every year in annual operating costs to build the tens of thousands more units of housing that are needed to get the homeless off the streets at least according to this commission local officials say that these numbers released this week in the authorities proposed five-year plan are likely not far off eight billion dollars but are also likely beyond what they are able to fund And by the way, that's $8 billion. It's not a one-time expenditure because you're also talking about spending $3.5 billion to take care of these people once you put them into these houses they want to live in. The draft plan is intended to unite Seattle, King County, and 38 other Puget Sound cities under one roadmap to tackle homelessness. The document comes over two years into the authority's existence and is its first foundational guide to direct policy and budget. Officials and the public will have the opportunity to weigh in, well I'm doing that, and refine the proposal over the next few months before it is expected to be finalized in April. The draft focuses heavily on reducing the number of people living on the streets, in tents and in vehicles. Uh, authority CEO, uh, will Mark says that homelessness can be curbed within five years if the document is followed exactly. You believe that? We'll be talking to Myra Adams about why Republicans have had such... On The Michael Medved Show, uh, Myra Adams uh, writes in uh, Politico, where she is a uh, regular, con- uh, at Real Clear Politics, excuse me, as a, a very significant difference. She writes about politics and religion, uh, and is a regular contributor to Real Clear Politics, and she has served on the creative team of two GOP presidential campaigns in 2004 and 2008. And she writes about the 20th anniversary of that 2004 campaign, uh, which is just coming up next year. The campaign we have next year will be exactly 20 years after George W. Bush beat John Kerry. So what's significant about this anniversary, Myra?
2: For having me, uh, first I must say that the piece that you're referring to was actually on the Hill, where I'm an op-ed contributor, also. So, oh, good. Today, thank you very much. Piece, <laughs> just a small detail. Um, the The anniversary it's really a shameful anniversary, a sorry, shameful anniversary for the Republican Party because it is 20 years since George W. Bush won the popular vote, and the electoral college vote and was reelected. So since that time, the Republicans have lost the popular vote for the last 20 years. So what's significant about that? Well, we know that when a president wins, and of course there has been two fluky situations in the last in the last uh, 23 years where it has happened in and, and 2000 with George W. Bush the first time and with uh, Trump in 2016, where both of them lost the popular vote but won the Electoral College vote. And there's always that sort of haunting of illegitimacy because American people like to feel like they are electing a president. And for some reason, and I can understand, our system has the electoral college, but still we want to feel connected to that popular vote. And when we have a president that didn't win the popular vote, there's always that, you know, that tinge of, oh, he's not the real president, he's the illegitimate president. And that can really haunt both of them. So that is a problem. As much as Republicans like to downplay. You know, the popular vote that Trump didn't win in 2016 and obviously 2020, he lost the popular vote and electoral vote. But the popular vote is still very important because it feeds into what states are won. And then when a state is won, that electoral college vote goes into the hopper and hopefully a candidate can get to
1: 270. Well, it's one of those things where the the. Other great advantage of winning the popular vote is the election is much less likely to be contested because even though the popular vote doesn't matter in the end in terms of who's going to actually be the next president, the uh, setting the the scene for uh, a, a president who would be accepted and be clearly representing the will of the American majority is clearly much better when you win The popular vote significantly, as President Bush did in 2004, he won by two and a half percent, which is uh, still a close election. But uh, you're much less likely to get people questioning the result because when Trump won the uh, electoral college vote in uh, 2016, it was based upon a total of some 70,000 votes that he won in a selected four states, which gave him the margin. And that's uh, extremely close. You could say the same thing is true of Joe Biden in reverse, but then Joe Biden also won the popular vote by 7 million votes.
2: Yes, that's correct. It's, it's even um, so, so fluky Uh, What happened in 2016 with Trump losing the popular vote and winning the electoral College vote? Because it was actually the exact number was just under 78,000 votes spread across three states. And those three states were Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin. And that earned Trump a total of 46 electoral votes. And those three states, we call them the the blue wall states, because George W. Bush lost them in 2004, but he had enough cushion with several other states that since George W. Bush won in 2004, there have been four states that have never been in the red column ever since 2004. And those four states are Colorado, Colorado new mexico virginia and nevada so the republican party is at a loss it doesn't mean they can never win them back but it's been it will be coming up on 20 years that they've lost those four states what you, what which is total uh what's 34 uh, electoral votes where do you go to make up those 34 electoral votes well you have to go to Michigan, Wisconsin, and, and Pennsylvania, and those those are tough states.
1: They're having a big uh, election in Wisconsin this year on control of the Wisconsin Supreme Court which uh, because they elect their justices. And it's a bitterly contested partisan race in Wisconsin coming up this year. Let me ask you this. Uh, You've worked on two campaigns. You worked on the Bush campaign in 2004. You worked on John McCain's campaign against Barack Obama in 2008. What do you think is necessary to change the drift of the Republican Party where we have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight elections? What's uh, what needs to be different?
2: Boy, that's quite a question. Um, nobody really knows the answer to that. Our country is so divided and so polarized that the concept of uniting us, I don't even know if that's even possible anymore. If anything, it's like, let's divide us as much as possible. And, you know, whoever can run the nastiest campaign, then, you know, can, can win. Uh, it doesn't always work out like that, obviously. Because Because Biden, in some cases, you could say, we're in kind of a nice campaign. You know, let's get back to normal. But that's a very difficult question. I don't think anybody really knows the answer to that. Um, Certainly consultants get paid a lot of money to try to figure out the answer to that. But nobody really knows. Well, part of it
1: involves involves something that even Trump was adamant about trying to do is doing better among minorities and not just among black people. But uh, as you point out, The uh, Biden won by more than two-thirds of the total non-white vote. And uh, that's going to be a tough uh, margin to overcome. Uh, Myra Adams' piece, uh, the headline, 2024 will mark 20 years since Republicans last won the popular vote. Can they rebrand in time to stop the losing streak? There are a number of people, including Mike Pompeo, uh, who are uh, openly trying to encourage that rebranding and their own candidacies for high office. We will get to that and more coming up on The MedVet Show.
3: The Michael Medved Show.
1: So, if you look at resumes, and I mean real resumes, not George Santos' resumes, Um, if you look at real resumes, the the candidate for president this time who has the most impressive resume of anybody who's running is uh, Mike Pompeo, and he has a new book out called Don't Give an Inch. Uh, I assume we'll have him back on the show to talk about his book. Uh, sometime in the next few days. But uh, Mike Pompeo graduated first in his class at West Point. He went on to Harvard Law School. He uh, served with distinction as a congressman from Kansas, as a member of the House of Representatives. He was head of the CIA and he was a fine Secretary of State for President Trump, actually delivering some of the most successful results of the trump administration including being part of the abraham accords which have held up to be a a real accomplishment but uh, pompeo was on cbs uh to talk about his new book and he had a a strange way of talking about his perception of the riots that rocked Washington D.C. and they were riots, and that assaulted the Capitol building on January 6th. Uh, listen, clip eight. January 6th, you described it as uh, calling it the day that the left wanted to exploit for
2: political advantage. Do you really feel that just yesterday people were convicted on January 6th?
0: Well, if this is conspiracy, yeah. If they committed crimes, they should be convicted. Although I've said this for two and a half years now. However long it's been. Um, if you committed crimes, if you broke into the Capitol and committed violence, you should be prosecuted. I but, get
2: that. But, but in the book, Mr. Secretary, yeah. you described it as a day that it was just exploited for yeah. Democrats. Yeah.
0: It, it, ha- it has been exploited. It's absolutely been exploited by the left. I, I believe that firmly. Um, we, we've, had, we've had bad days in America before. That night ended in glory. That night ended in the United States of America completing its constitutional process and confirming President Biden as the duly elected president of the United States. Uh, we should we should be proud of that, and we and we shouldn't use. We, we shouldn't use violence in a political way, whether that violence happens in the streets of Seattle or Minneapolis.
2: But the violence happened because the people that day that took over the Capitol believed that the election had been stolen. Yes. And many people believe that they were urged to go to the Capitol to protest the way they did because of Donald Trump. Do you believe the election was stolen?
0: No, I don't believe the election was stolen, Gail.
1: Okay, it's a straight answer. But look, it's tough to say it's a day of glory because... Uh, do the people who still believe, and it's a significant percentage of the Republican Party, who still believe that the election was stolen, do they believe that day ended in glory? Uh, anytime you have that level of division based upon a real attempts to mislead people and, and based on, on the, the shabbiest lack of evidence and— And it's one of the reasons that uh, in one sense I'm amazed and in another sense I'm very gratified that Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and John Eastman and people like that who were arguing for these various utterly discredited electoral theories, like the idea that the voting machines were manipulated, uh, the Dominion lawsuit against Fox News and everybody else. Is proceeding and and we're talking about billions of dollars in potential damages uh, based upon these bizarre lies and look I understand that Mike Pompeo was fortunate he was Secretary of State at that time he he didn't have any real involvement with promulgating some of the election lies but uh, to say that it was misused by the Left Uh, what is what is the left supposed to do other than to be appalled as I think the overwhelming majority of Americans left right and center were appalled by the way things turned out and the way things were handled on that particular day Uh, Pompeo also talked about classified documents and uh, a lot of people have said okay uh, it's now Donald Trump and it's Joe Biden and it's uh, Mike Pence. So who's next? Well, uh, because Hillary Clinton had problems with classified material, too, uh, it's quite normal that people would think about the uh, the next secretary of state. He actually was Rex Tillerson was there in between. But uh, the idea that uh, Pompeo. Would mishandle classified documents? Here's what the former army officer had to say. Listen,
2: have you looked in your own house? Do you have? Are you worried about maybe they'll find classified documents at your place, in your gym, in your garage? And what do you think about this?
0: <laughs> well, I don't have a Corvette in there, no. uh, and so uh, I, I, I don't think mm-hmm. they will. But I'd say three things about this, and I write about this and never give an inch. I actually write about this. The book preceded uh, these issues, both at Mar-a-Lago and uh, in the president or the president's home. Uh, if you have classified documents, handle them correctly. And if you find that you have in the wrong place, take responsibility, take accountability, and turn them back in.
1: <laughs> okay, good advice. Um, don't don't take any classified documents home ever, ever, ever. Uh, meanwhile, uh, it's not classified, and in fact, uh, President Trump is going to be far more available with his thoughts, his musings, uh, and more because he is being reinstated on Instagram and uh, on Facebook. And meta-executive Nick Clegg, a former British parliamentarian, uh, told NBC News about the reason they made the decision to bring him back to those uh, social media platforms. Listen.
0: How can you say that in this country the risk of political violence has receded?
3: You know, what we're essentially doing is comparing it to the circumstances which led to his two-year suspension in the first place. In other words, the circumstances in January two years ago, at the time of, uh, you know, the January 6th events on the Capitol, and at that time, You know, Washington, D.C. was under a curfew, government offices were closed and under heavy security protection up and down the country, which led to his original suspension. We think the risk to public safety has has materially and significantly receded. But that is also the reason why we are introducing those additional guardrails to discourage him from breaking our rules going forward if he chooses to use Facebook and Instagram again.
1: And a second statement on the same subject, a difference between inaccuracy and harm. Listen.
0: Should we be understanding that, that, that in Meta's view, the bar is essentially insurrection level incitement? And that that's the bar that you are looking at for what is and is not a security risk?
3: No, we remove content. All the time. We act all the time where people post material that we think will um, uh, you know pose a, a real danger and lead to real world harm. And that applies to everybody. Doesn't matter whether you're the former president of the United States, doesn't matter whether you are the king or the queen or just an ordinary user of our social media apps.
1: Okay. Uh, don't you think that some of this also involves the fact that they've missed Trump, that uh, President Trump, say what you will, and uh, not only had a, an unbelievable number millions and millions of followers but he actually broadens the base for them to uh, uh... include more people uh... who might very well have turned away from uh... instagram and facebook in disgust because trump was deplatformed. uh... will this have a big impact on the uh, upcoming election campaign? I don't think so, because there was no difficulty that President Trump had even before. And frankly, I'm not sure he will choose to come back. Uh, We will be right back with where 900 million world citizens plan to go.
3: Your daily dose of debate. It's The Michael Medved Show.
1: Michael Medved show. Uh, I just uh, spoke to my brother, Jonathan Medved, last night, and uh, he is in the midst of the big plans for the Investors Worldwide Technology Summit uh, that is taking place in Jerusalem on February 15th. And it's fascinating. They have 150 different lectures on All kinds of different breakthroughs that change the course of humanity. One of them has to do with desalinization. People worry about where water is going to come from. I know right now there's tremendous rain. In Israel, by the way, they have a terrible drought going on, and they're kept alive partially by desalinization, by taking some water out of the oceans and making it drinkable and wholesome. Uh, But that's just one of the things you can read about and find out for free by just going and clicking on the banner for our crowd. Uh, There will be 7,000 participants who have already registered for this international summit on high technology and investments that can change the world. Uh, Check it out at michaelmedved.com. Uh, Okay, Uh, there is a a report from Gallup with a kind of alarming headline. that nearly 900 million worldwide wanted to migrate in 2021. And they report that the COVID-19 pandemic severely disrupted people's mobility worldwide, but it didn't stop them from wanting to move. In fact, Gallup surveys show that in the second year of the pandemic, people's desire to migrate reached its highest point in a decade. In 2021, 16% of adults worldwide, which projects to almost 900 million people, said they would like to leave their own country permanently if they could. Gallup's latest update on adults' desire to move to another country and its first uh, global estimate available since 2018 the 2021 figures are based on interviews with nearly 127,000 adults. That's a big study. Okay, so where do people want to leave and where do they want to go? Um the place that people most want to leave has to do with uh well, it's mostly sub-Saharan Africa. And uh where do they want to go? The headline U.S. still top desired destination, but less attractive today. The list of countries where potential migrants say they would like to move if they could has generally been the same since Gallup started tracking these data in 2007, with the U.S. topping the list of the most desired destinations every single year. This was true in 2021 as well. Just under one in five potential migrants, 18 percent, or about 160 million adults worldwide, named the U.S. as their desired future residence. However, this figure is down from where it was in all the years leading up to 2017. As potential migrants cooled toward the U.S. and actual migration levels to this country slumped, now, you say, wait, wait, what about all the people coming through on the southern border? See, migration levels involve mostly the majority are legal immigrants. But uh, at the time that America's as a destination was slumping, uh, people warmed to our neighbor to the north. In 2021, Canada achieved its highest levels of immigration in its history, and Gallup survey figures show that 8 percent – of potential migrants or about 74 million people worldwide would like to relocate to Canada. That's about double the population of Canada. Uh, the number of people who would like to move there, the uh, countries in order where people most want to move the United States. Number one, Canada, number two, Germany, number three, Spain, France, uh, the United Kingdom, and then Australia. Uh, mean, here in the United States, what do people worry about when it comes to their kids? There's a, a fascinating Pew research uh, survey that uh, uh, takes a look at what people do worry about in the wake of COVID-19 pandemic and amid reports of a growing youth mental health crisis. Four in ten U.S. parents with children younger than 18 say they are extremely or very worried that their children might struggle with anxiety or depression at some point. In fact, mental health concerns top the list of parental worries, followed by 35 percent who are similarly concerned. Um, who are similarly concerned about certain physical threats to their children? the dangers of drugs and alcohol, teen pregnancy, and getting in trouble with police. But the overwhelming concern for struggling with anxiety and depression, this um, shows that 40% say they're extremely concerned about that. And uh, 36% say they're somewhat concerned. So a total of 76% of parents say they worry about the problems of... Anxiety or depression and one of the things to worry about about that perception is that uh, the with parents being so concerned about anxiety or depression that can contribute to a very real problem of children Uh, but this is having to do with children below the age of 18 children being over medicated uh... only twenty eight percent of parents say they're very worried about children being uh... abducted or kidnapped uh... actually i'm surprised that it's even that high um, the um, the idea of uh, getting pregnant or getting someone else pregnant as a teenager only sixteen percent are now very worried about that and that has gone down uh significantly uh there's also um, more comment today about the decision that uh, made earlier in the week by uh president biden about sending those 31 abrams tanks to ukraine and plus the moving of uh, leopard tanks from uh, German tanks to Ukraine. A Ukrainian MP, member of parliament named Rudik uh, said, look, uh, they still have fewer tanks and weapons than Russia. Listen to clip one.
4: Look in Ukraine we are still in David versus Goliath situation right. still we still have less tanks less uh, weapons um, less people than Russia has so we have to be uh, more sophisticated we have to be smarter we have to be more modern and we have to use really different tactics to have a chance to win this war well on another um, uh, on another hand we all here are living on this fuel of hope. So today's decision is super symbolic for people. Mm-hmm. It's telling us that we 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 are not fighting this war alone. Right. And that there is no impossible things. Because if we remember what happened a year ago, like all their lives were even hesitant to send us something. Right. And not only are we are receiving what we were asking for, we have a chance to get what we actually need. Chuck, right now when we are speaking, there is an attack on Ukrainian city of Dnipro. There are more and more explosions yeah. that are being reported. And it happens because our system of air defense is not sophisticated enough to sustain a major attack by Russians that they launch on us almost every other day. So we will need the jets and we will need AT camps to to, right. to be able just to survive, physically survive.
1: And uh, again, uh, this is one of those decisions, it seems to me, that uh, deserves um, bipartisan support. And uh, we may also uh, see that uh, drivers who enter I-5 at Seattle's Mercer Street on-ramp and do that all the time, pass by a growing homeless encampment that is obscured behind trees and repurposed Welcome to South Lake Union banners. So the governor is talking about doing something about that? Well, what exactly? We will get to that next time on The Medved Show. We'll be speaking to former Congressman, now Fox host, Trey Gowdy to Jonathan Allen uh, from NBC about choices for Trump's vice president and for the 2023 top risks for this greatest nation on God's green earth.